God is at work through His local church and through the teaching of His Word. This morning on MyBridge Radio, we are pleased to share a favorite message from New Life with campuses in Kearney, North Platte, and Ogallala. Here's Pastor Jeff Baker. God is good, right? God is good. How, how, how often is God good? And all the time? Can I just ask you a simple question, though, today? As we jump into this series entitled, Ever Wonder Why? Have you, have you ever questioned God, God being good, though? I know I have. I've questioned God being good. Right now, there are other people that are going, God, why? Why am I walking through this pain? Other people are sitting here right now, and they're going, God, why? Why is my marriage falling apart if you're good? God, why? Uh, someone else is sitting here, and they're going, God, why? Why are my parents getting a divorce? Someone's asking another question, God, like, why didn't you provide the miracle? You provide the miracle for someone else, but you didn't provide the miracle for me. Why did you let it happen, God? Somebody's asking the question right now, God, why do you still let me deal with depression? Why do you let that happen? Someone else is here today, and they're going, God, like, why? Why did you let my best friend stab me in the back? Why, God? Why? You're sitting here today and you're thinking to yourself, like, God, I've been, I've been as good as I can be. I've done the best I can. I've tried to trust you. I've tried to love you. i tried to serve you. Yet pain still happened to me. Suffering still happened to me. God, why? Some of you are sitting here today and you might be asking questions that I've asked in the past. Like, God, why? Why? Why do you let children starve and die today? Why do you let wars happen where people die today, God? Why? Why? Big questions. I asked the question a year ago, personally, from me. God, um, I, you know I'm serving you. You know I'm giving my life to you. I'm honoring you with my time, my talent, and my treasure. And then you let me get hit by a car? Why? <laughs> And if you don't know that story, you got to go a year ago and watch a video where I couldn't lift this arm at all, right? But you, you have these things happen to you, and you, just have, and you just have to say, why does God let it happen? Have you ever wondered why God lets it happen? This question, guys, has been asked really from the beginning of time. Um, 300 years before Jesus was ever born and walked this earth, there was a Greek philosopher, Epicurus. Right? I mean, just look at him. That guy looks stone cold. Um, <laughs> he's so, so stoic, you know? He's immovable. He was, uh, that was a bad dad joke, by the way. I'm, I'm sorry. Sorry for everyone that had to endure that. But this Greek philosopher, Epicurus, he, he was asking the question about why. Why, God, do you let these things happen? And he came up with these two conclusions that led to this one big question. Um, this is 300 years before Jesus you know, ever walked the earth. He said, look, if God is not able to prevent evil, then he's not all-powerful. There's still people that think this way even today. If God's not willing, secondly, if God's not willing to prevent evil, then he's not all-good. These are still questions that people wrestle with today. In light of those two conclusions, then Epicurus, he came up with this one big question that if God is both willing and able 
to prevent evil, then why does evil exist? 300 years before Jesus ever showed up on the scene, people were asking the question, why does God let it happen? And guys, the Bible is full of stories of people who have walked through things that you ask the question, God, why did you let that happen? I think of David. David was the man who, as, a, as basically a teenager, kills Goliath, right? David, David is the one who becomes the king. But before he becomes the king, he is like chased in the desert. And uh, the current king, King Saul, with all of his army, is trying to hunt down this one man. All the armies are allegated to find this one guy and to crush him and to kill him. That's evidently the kind of threat that the current king had about David because the anointing was on David to become the king and David became king and he was a good king, right? But you find in the writings of David him saying things like this, like, God, don't you care? Don't you care about me? He would write things like, God, don't you see me? Don't you see the suffering I'm in? God, don't you see the ones who are trying to destroy me? God, are, are, are you even watching? Are you even listening? Why are you letting this happen to me? And the New Testament says this about David. He was a man after God's own heart. So a man who has a heart after God is asking the question, God, why? Why do you let me suffer? Why do you let my enemies triumph over me? God, why do you let this happen? I think in the New Testament, another example that is a, a powerful example is a man by the name of John the Baptist. Who's ever heard of John the Baptist? Okay, all right. Uh, John the Baptist, his mission. Check out this mission. Just think how cool it would have been to be selected out of all humans that have ever walked planet Earth that John the Baptist was given this one unique mission. Prepare the way for the coming of Jesus. That, that, that was his job. That's what he was called to do. He was supposed to go throughout the land and tell the people there is one greater who is coming right? The Son of God is coming, the one who is going to deliver us from our sins, set us free. He is coming. He was proclaiming before it was ever said, God so loves the world that he's sending his one and only Son. This was his job. Jesus comes along. John the Baptist is baptizing. Jesus gets baptized by John the Baptist. The fulfillment of his mission is there. John gets thrown into jail. He suffers in jail until finally a party's happening and a gift wants to be given from this, this leader to his family member. And she says, I want the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And what gets delivered minutes later? The head of John the Baptist. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm thinking to myself, if I'm John the Baptist and I have been given the mission to prepare the way for Jesus and I do it and I do it well, and I do it to the best of my ability, and I do it in a way that honors God, that when they're throwing me in jail, I'm thinking to myself like, Jesus, why are you letting this happen? I did what you asked me to do. And then when he's being led to have his head cut off, I can only imagine him saying like, why? Why, why am I suffering like this? Where did I ever let you down? How did I ever fail you? Where did I go wrong? I wanna make it right. Like you can almost hear a man having to try to reason in his heart and in his head with that question, why? Why, God, are you letting this happen? Many of you have walked through situations where you've had to ask the question, God, why? Why are you letting this happen? I'm just wanting to let you know today that's a valid question. It's okay to ask that question. It's been asked throughout Scripture. It's been asked 
throughout time. One of the greatest ones was a guy by the name of Asaph. Asaph, in the Old Testament, you probably have never heard of. His name only shows up in these brief little moments at the beginning of a psalm. He, he wrote 12 different psalms. He was a songwriter. He's a poet, right? A prophet proclaiming what God is saying. This, this is Asaph. Asaph is, the, is what's called, he's the leader of the choir, which means this, that if Asaph was here today, he'd be the leader of the worship team. He would be the, he would be the young guy that's out here, you know, wearing his ball cap, and he's got his tight jeans on, he's got his guitar, and his hair is kind of going this direction. And he's like, come on, everybody, sing louder, right? And he's going to be like, come on, lift your hands higher, right? And he's going to be jumping up and down. I mean, that's going to be Asaph. And in the midst of all of this, Asaph is asking a question, God, why? Why do you continue to let sinful people prosper financially? I don't get it. In Psalms chapter uh, 73, uh, starting in verse 11, here's what he says. He goes, what does God know? What does God know? This is a worship leader. What does God know? Does the Most High ever know what's happening? Does he? Does he? I mean, look at these wicked people enjoying a life of ease while their riches multiply. Listen to this. Did I keep my heart pure for nothing? Did I keep myself innocent for no reason? I get nothing but trouble all day long. Every morning brings me pain. Can you identify with this guy? It's like the older I get, every morning brings me more pain. But that's for a whole other reason. That's for a whole other reason. But, but here he is, he's looking at the world and he's going, God, why, why do you let this happen? Why do you let wicked people prosper? It, it, have I kept my heart pure for you for no reason at all? Have I been obedient to you? Remember like I was talking about with John the Baptist? Have I been obedient to you for nothing? All I get is trouble. All I get is suffering and I'm the one who is serving you. I'm the one who's leading people in worship. I'm the one who's dedicated myself to you. Why are you allowing or letting this happen? Why are wicked people prospering while godly people are suffering? Why? I'm going to do my very best, guys, to answer this, this kind of question. But I'm just going to preface it with this. You're probably not going to like the answer. I'm going to, I'm going to answer the question why does God allow suffering? But I'm telling you right now, everything inside of you is going to wrestle with this question because you're going to go, no, the, 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 answer, the answer to this thing has to be different, than Jeff, than, than what you're saying. So let's just look at it. If God is loving, why does he let suffering happen? And I'm going to just bring you to a very quick conclusion on something, that God is loving, number one, and that God allows suffering to happen because God gave us a choice. He gave us a choice, a choice to choose good or to choose evil. And that concept is a, is a concept that we refer to as free will, that God gave you free will. And because God gave you free will, not everybody chooses to do good. And when people don't choose to do good, then that leads to suffering. So maybe the better question that we should ask is this. It's not that if God is loving, why does he allow suffering? Maybe the better question we should be asking God is this. God, why did you allow free will? Because if God doesn't allow free will, then man doesn't have the choice to do evil. Man doesn't have the choice to do evil. Suffering doesn't happen. And again, you're not going to like the answer, right? And it's because of this. God created you in a way that you're not a robot, 
and you're not a rock and you're not pre-programmed to do a certain thing called obey him. God wanted you to be able to express true love, pure love, because you wanted to express pure love to God and to others. Why? Because God wanted relationship with you. So look how quickly we got to a conclusion of it's because of love that there is suffering. I told you you're not going to like the answer. I told you it was going to sit wrong with you. But because you have the ability, God gave you the freedom to show love or to show evil or wickedness. Because God gave you that, therefore there is suffering. I know it's like tension. It's like something I've got to wrestle with. It's something that just kind of causes me to go, there's got to be more. There's got to be more to this. No, the bottom line is God wants relationship with you. And relationship means that you have to choose to love him and to love others. That means that love is the most powerful element known to mankind. It's the most powerful element in all of creation. And you and me get the choice to use it or not to use it. We get the freedom. We get the freedom to show love or we get the freedom to show evil. And when we show evil, suffering happens. Why? Because evil is sin. And wherever there is sin, there is suffering. You might go, I'm not an evil person. I know, but we're, we're sinful people. And sinful people cause suffering. You cause suffering to yourself because of your sin. You cause suffering to others because of your sin. Marriages have been destroyed because of someone sinned and now children are suffering. People have died because someone sinned and now a whole lineage of people, a generation is suffering. When people choose sin, then therefore there is suffering. And God gave us the ability to not choose sin, to choose love, and to choose obedience, and choose to love him. And then there's a whole host of other things. We just live on a world of mechanisms and mechanics and, and, and um, you know, buildings and cars and airplanes and rockets and all of this kind of stuff. I mean, sometimes those things are just going to have a side effect, and they are going to take one of us out from time to time. That's not because there's an evil God. That's because God gave you the ability to create. And in our creation, some of that creation ends up hurting us. It's not because God is bad. It's because God is good. God is love. God did not create you to be a robot and just to do your little thing. He gave you free will to express a love to him. And too often we choose to use it against him. So here's a big thought. I don't think it's fair to say this, that because there is suffering, there's no God. I think it's more accurate to say that because there is suffering, there is a God. It's not fair. It's not fair to say that about God. Because there's suffering, meaning this, that because God gave me free will, it proves that there is this God who desires a relationship with me. And he gave me the choice to choose him. And I can choose not to follow him. That'll be sin. That'll lead to suffering. Or I can choose to follow him. But that's not the whole issue in and of itself. That just brings us to another question. Is suffering the evidence that God is distant and doesn't love us? Right? Is my suffering the evidence that God doesn't love us or that God is distant? Because there's a lot of people that just think that God, look, okay, God created it all, but God doesn't really care. So therefore, God doesn't really love. He's just allowing this world to go on autopilot, right? So that's the question that I think we need to deal with now. Is suffering the evidence that God is distant and doesn't love us? Well, when I got hit by that car a year ago, I had to go to physical therapy for months and months and months. And I would go over to New West 
here in Carning, right? Wonderful place. I would walk in there. They would be smiley. They would greet me. They would take me over to a table. They would start me out with a cup of coffee or some water. And they were just warming me up for the pain. Right? And I would get on that table and that physical therapist would start twisting me like a pretzel. Can anybody identify? They're pushing on my shoulder and they're pulling on my arm. And before I know it, my arm's going places my arm shouldn't go. And I'm thinking to myself, like, there's a couple of thoughts I got to ask myself, right? Did, did, did this therapist cause this kind of pain because he doesn't like me? And I was like, no, he likes me. I mean, we talk about real stuff. I mean, I don't know how you can understand me when I'm like, ow, I just went, ow, okay, I went, ah. I don't know how he understood me, but he agreed with me all the time. So then I was like, well, is he causing this pain because he likes pain? And I was like, yeah, that's probably it. That's probably it. That's probably it. No, that's not it at all. Why was the physical therapist causing or allowing or letting pain happen to me? Why did they allow me to suffer? Here's the reason why. Because they knew there was something better on the other side. There's mobility. There's strength. There was something better on the other side. So therefore, they were like, I'm going to, you have to suffer a little bit, Jeff. Yes, your arm is going to go back and it will go back farther. I know you think it's back all the way. Man, there was, one, there was one point where I thought I was putting my arm all the way back and my arm was like here, you know? And they're just like, no, it can go back. And so what do you do? You're like, you're lifting your butt up off the thing and you're like, you're bending. And he's like, just lay flat. Your arm will get there eventually. You know, he, he just saw that there was something better on the other side. Isn't that what parents do? Parents do the same thing. Why do we discipline our children? Because we like to inflict pain on them. No, that's a bad parent. We don't like to inflict pain on them. Why do we do it? Because we see that there's something better on the other side. So we allow them or we let them walk through a period of suffering because if we don't do that, then we can see that the actions that, are, that they're developing in their life are going to lead to destruction for them. Therefore, we allow them or we put them through a period of suffering. Why? Because we don't want that negative thing, that bad thing in them to produce itself. We want to crush that because we see their greater potential. We see that there's something better on the other side. Therefore... We discipline. And can I just say this to you? That that is the very same thing with God. That God is the very same way that God lets us suffer at times because he sees what that suffering is going to produce. And on the other side, it's going to produce something greater than if you didn't walk through that suffering. I know you don't like it. I don't like that answer either. But I'm thankful that my parents disciplined me or I'm not standing in front of you. So can I also be thankful that God just lets some suffering happen in my life because he sees something better for me on the other side? You might not like it, but it is love. So then I hear people, which leads me to another question. I hear people say things like this, like, well, why do, why do uh, bad things happen to good people? Why do bad things happen to good people? I mean, I'm a good person, right? I mean, I do good things, I come to church, why? Oh, why? Why does God let bad things happen to good people? And can I just simply just maybe throw this back at you and just ask this one critical question? Why do you think you're good? What makes you think that you're good? When we say that, we're assuming that we are good, right? 
But the Bible tells me something completely different about myself in Romans chapter 3, verse 23. It says this, for everyone has sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. That means this, no human being is good. So why do bad things happen to good people is an irrelevant question. Because we are not good. We live in a world of sin. Suffering happens. In fact, there was really only one who's ever been good. Does anybody know his name? Boom. The three people that answered that got it right. Maybe I heard five voices. I'm not really sure. Jesus is the only one the Bible tells us that is good. If there's anybody who has the right to ask the question, why does bad things happen to good people, it's Jesus. And if Jesus is the only one who's ever been good, guess what? He suffered more than you ever did. Uh Uh-oh. So good people do suffer. Good people do suffer. In fact, here's what it says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21. It says, For God called you and me to be good. We're not good, but he called us to be good. There's only one way that we can you know, try to answer this question of God called you to be good, and that's this, to live a life that honors him, which is how this whole passage ends. So watch this. For God called you to be good, even if it means what? Uh-oh. Jesus, just like Christ suffered for you, okay? He, being Jesus, he is your example. And you must follow in his steps. Watch this about Jesus. He never sinned, nor ever deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he, what? Suffered, right? He, let his, he left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. Watch this. He personally carried our sins, your sins, my sins, because we're not good, in his body on the cross, so that we can be dead to sin and live a life that is right. Living a life that is right is what God called us to do. That's the definition of good. Living a life that is right before God. Guys, that's what we're called to do. And some people think that because Jesus suffered, I shouldn't suffer. And I just want you to know it's just the opposite. That because Jesus suffered, you and me, if we're going to follow in his footsteps, we are going to suffer as well. And it's just what God's called us to. God called you and me to serve him with all of our heart. And that means to serve him even if there is suffering. And look, it says in here that in that passage that we read that Jesus is our example. And so if Jesus is the example of one who was good, who suffered, and we are to be a follower of him, that when we walk through suffering, how should we respond? Well, let's respond like Jesus did. How did he respond? Well, first off, Jesus didn't take suffering personal. All too often, what happens is that suffering happens in our life. We take it personal, and we say this, God, why are you letting that happen to me? That's taking it personal. You'll never find Jesus saying that to his Father. Why are you letting this happen to me? And so, guys, let's just make sure that the very first thing that we do when we suffer is that we don't point our finger to God and go, why are you letting this happen to me? Secondly, when we suffer, what should we do? We should do this. Let's, let, he, Jesus didn't... Jesus didn't try to avoid suffering. I'm not trying to inflict suffering upon my life. I just know this, that I live in an imperfect world full of sin and suffering is going to happen. Jesus didn't try to avoid it. He didn't try to like, hey, look, I'm just not going to do the cross thing. We're going to come up with another solution here. No, he embraced the cross, okay? And so we just need to know that, look, we can't avoid it. Jesus trusted his father to see him through it. That's what we need to do. We need to say, God, help me walk through this time of struggle and trial. And many of you have done that, and you've come out on the other side, and you're like, I hate the fact that I had to suffer, but I cannot argue the fact that the outcome of my life is better. 
I didn't want to walk through this pain, and I never want to walk through that pain again. But who I am now is a better man or a better woman. I am a better image of Christ today because of what I walked through, although I never want to walk through that again. So let's trust God as we walk through it. And Jesus knew that something was better on the other side. Jesus, as he walked this earth, knew he was going to face suffering, so he kept his eyes focused on that which was better. Here's what that means. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, says this, that because of the joy awaiting him, being Jesus, because of the joy awaiting Jesus, he did what, guys? He endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he's seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. He saw the thing that was better. He saw, hey, one day I'm going to sit next to my father again, next to his throne. I'm going to be in heaven. I'm going to be with him for eternity. I saw that, and so I endured the cross. Guys, there's something about this for you and me. There's just something about it that we got to wrap our heads and our heart around. Everyone's going to suffer, good people and bad people. Okay, but here's the secret. If you keep your eyes on Jesus and your hope in heaven then you can endure the suffering no matter what comes your way without losing the joy of living. It's possible, but we have to keep our eyes focused on that which is to come. This is not my home. I know it's my home now, but nothing that I have here do I get to keep. Nothing do I, that I acquire here do I get to take with me. Nothing that I achieve here goes with me beyond this life. And one day, if Jesus doesn't come back and Jeff Baker dies... One day, every single person on planet Earth will forget me. I am not that important. I am not as big as I think I am. The things that I say I have to have to make sure that my identity is projected the way I want it to be are not as important as what they feel like. I've got to get my eyes on something that is grander. I've got to get my eyes on something that is eternal, not temporal. That's what Jesus did, and that's what caused him to overcome the questions of why did you let it happen? Why, do, do, why does these bad things happen to happen to, to me who, who is good? Like, he, he erased all of that stuff. Why? Because he had his eyes on a prize that was greater than anything you can get on this earth. So I can't answer every single one of your situations of why God let of one thing or another thing happen, but I know this. I know that your suffering doesn't go unnoticed by God. I know that. I know that God knows exactly where you are and that God is big enough to help you walk through your suffering. God is big enough to hear your doubts. God is big enough to hear your complaints. He's heard them throughout time. He can hear them again from you. And if your heart is willing and able and open, God will walk you through that suffering because he'll help you see what's grander on the other side. So why don't we practice what that psalmist Asaph did? Here's what Asaph finally did in his life to overcome the question, God, why did you let it happen? Look with me in Psalm 73, verses 16 and 17. Here's what Asaph said. So I tried to understand why the wicked prosper, but what a difficult task it is. And isn't it difficult to answer the question, why did God let it happen? He says in verse 17, Then I went into your sanctuary, O God, and I finally understood the destiny of the wicked. There's only one place when you walk through suffering that's going to make any sense to you at all. And it's when you run into the sanctuary of God. It's when you run into the presence of God and you start saying, God, I don't understand why. 
I can't put two and two together. It doesn't make any sense. It causes me to doubt that you love me. It causes me to doubt that you're in control and that you're all-powerful. But God, when I run into your presence, I cannot deny that your presence is real. And as you're in the presence of God, guys, and you bring your suffering to God, and you bring your questions to God, your legitimate questions, when you bring them to God in his presence, here's what you're going to find. You're going to find a loving, caring God that's going to meet you in your pain, and he's going to help you walk through that. He's going to help you see something grander on the other side. It's only in his presence. So bring your pain, bring your questions, bring your suffering, bring your ever wonder why thoughts to God, and let him, let him minister to you, because it's in his presence that you're going to find the answers that you're looking for. Asaph found them there. You and me are going to find them there. So why don't we do that? Why don't we walk into the sanctuary of God? Meaning, it's not, this is not the sanctuary. Wherever you're meeting with us at, we call it a sanctuary. A sanctuary is this, is this place where the presence of God shows up and you're there. I want you to know that right now God's here. And if you will seek him, you will find him. So let's bring our suffering and let's bring our questions into his sanctuary, into his presence And let's let God bring clarity. Let's let God minister to our hearts. Amen. Thank you for joining us this morning for a favorite message from Pastor Jeff Baker at New Life. If you'd like to hear this message again or more like it, check out Heard On Air on the MyBridge Radio app or online at mybridgeradio.net.